0: It's not my mathematics or my philosophy. It's the fact that I have real hope, and that hope is down to the grace of the goodness, the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord who gave himself for me.
1: Today on First Person, the connection between the Old Testament story of Daniel and today's contentious world of politics and public policy. Welcome to our program and today's guest, Dr. John Lennox. I'm Wayne Shepard, and I invite you to learn more about these weekly conversations online at FirstPersonInterview.com. We always provide additional information about each week's guest and topic by giving you links to explore. And I believe you want to know more about Dr. Lennox's new book, which we'll discuss today, Against the Flow. Go to FirstPersonInterview.com. Well, Dr. John Lennox has many titles and responsibilities, too numerous to mention, but it is as a Christian apologist and author that we speak to him today. His new book is titled Against the Flow, The Inspiration of Daniel in an Age of Relativism. I reached him by phone at his home in Britain.
0: I'm just outside Oxford in England. Uh, in a country village, and it, the sun's
1: shining, and it's really quite beautiful. <laughs> Good. It sounds wonderful. That's your home. You, of course, are professor. And uh, tell me uh, what you teach there, John.
0: Well, I'm professor of mathematics, and I'm a fellow uh, in mathematics and philosophy of science at my college, Green Templeton College. And I teach various things these days because I've now got to the age where I can afford the luxury of getting involved in all kinds of things. So I teach some philosophy of science. I even teach in the business school. I ha- I don't teach mathematics anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. We first met in Chicago when you came to speak at a Ravi Zacharias event here, and I know you're still a part of Ravi's team. You've traveled the world for many years. Talk about your life, and, and when did you first become a Christian, John?
0: Oh, very young indeed. I had Christian parents who lived credible Christianity before me that allowed me to think so that I became a Christian probably between the ages of 5 and 10. It's always very difficult to remember that far back when you reach my age. But, of course, the important thing is not when I became a Christian, but the fact that today I believe in the central core tenets of Christianity, and that's what I want to defend in the world today, that it really is credible to believe that Jesus Christ is who He claims to be, God incarnate.
1: And you're doing that so well in so many places, and and, and mentoring others to come along behind you and do the same thing. That, That has to be an important part of what you're doing right now.
0: I've been involved quite a bit in the Veritas Forum in the United States in the last few years doing many, many lectures over 40 now I think in principal universities and seeing huge crowds of young people but also we've got an institute in Oxford called the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics which is a joint work between Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and Wycliffe Hall and it's a great privilege to be able to teach the 30 or so young people that come there every year.
1: Dr. Lennox, uh, another time that we met was during the God Delusion Debate in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, You were up against uh, Richard Dawkins. That was the title of his uh, book that was out at that time, The God Delusion. So it was called The God Delusion Debate, and I uh, anchored that on radio. And uh, we just keep referring back to that and back to that as a seminal uh, moment in apologetics because it it really was an important moment.
0: I think it was, and it's interesting. People keep watching it. They keep watching the DVD. And uh, what is very encouraging to me, I keep getting letters from people who were deeply influenced by it and eventually came to faith in Christ. So it was a seminal moment, and I think it's been viewed by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of
1: people. Well, John, let's talk about Against the Flow, the inspiration of Daniel in an Age of Relativism. What is it about Daniels and his times that parallel our times?
0: Well, I think the main thing is here's a man that's been brought up in a sheltered, monotheistic community with Jewish parents, and suddenly he's taken by force to a foreign country, has to learn a new language. It's a polytheistic country. It has different laws and so on. And what is remarkable about him is that he not only maintains his devotion to God, many people do that, they say their prayers, they go to church and so on, but he maintains a cutting-edge witness to God publicly, right up into old age. And that is incredible, especially when you consider that he rose to a height in the Babylonian and Medo-Persian empire that uh, has never happened before or since. That is, he ran two empires. so. Anything we can glean from him as to the secret of his witness and his stability in a completely alien culture, which is very similar to our own in many ways, is worthwhile doing. And that's why I wrote the book, because it's such an encouragement to people today, to Christians who feel they're up against it within society, where there's tremendous cultural pressure and where it's very difficult to swim against that flow.
1: I laugh sometimes when I hear people say, we need to make the Bible relevant. Uh, The Bible is relevant. You don't have to do its job for it. It does it itself, doesn't it?
0: Well, you have to abolish the distance. Many people have thought that the Bible is just full of stories that are good for children and old people, but they haven't begun to realize how it speaks into culture. And the book of Daniel does this immensely powerfully. And what I've tried to do in the book is to unpack it for people that want to think about these things and want to gain an insight into how the Bible directly faces some of the biggest problems that we meet in our society and thereby proves its credibility, of course.
1: Of course, we often think of Daniel in terms of prophecy and all the important prophetic words that come through Daniel, but that's not the only thing that we learn from Daniel, is it?
0: Well, of course not. They are important things, and he, obviously, he didn't go into a ghetto because he believed that there was a a future. The the converse is true. Because he believed that the, the Messiah would return, he lived a very consistent and engaged life in the society there. He lived in Babylon, but he didn't live for it. He lived for God's future plan, and... At least half of the book is describing his own personal experience. But I deal with all of the book and try to show how it works as a literary unit, how the message that some people find so difficult towards the end of the book actually helps us understand the message in the earlier part of the book. So it's all one whole.
1: What is it about Daniel and his compatriots there that really just... Speak loudly to us. What? What? Talk to me more about uh, his makeup.
0: Well, the thing that's very striking about the book is that he really set himself apart to stand for God without compromise, and that was his courage. If we were to put it in New Testament language, we'd say, Daniel sanctified in his heart Jesus as Lord. In other words, the book is a study of his values, his deep commitment to God, his deep commitment to Scripture, and his willingness to stand up and be counted for that and not compromise it. And he started as a university student in the University of Babylon, which incidentally makes my book very relevant to students and college um, students today because I look at it as King's College Babylon, and here are these four young men starting in an alien world and nevertheless maintaining their public witness.
1: It's interesting you should say that, because I also thought of that as I thought about sending young people off to university today. It really is that, uh, that almost pagan environment, isn't it?
0: Well, it is, and the statistics at the moment are horrifying. In the United States and in the UK, roughly 75% of young people who go into college as professing Christians, have lost that after three years. And that's another strong reason for writing this book on Daniel, to engage with the reasons and the opposition that young people often cave under today because they don't have any credible answers to the questions that are thrown at them.
1: Do you find that uh, your university students are, are open about uh, the things of the Lord, or are they already so predetermined that that's all just a myth that they're, they're not open?
0: Well, in my recent, I was in the United States just over a week ago, and several of the audiences were over a thousand, and in one of them, in one of the universities in California, the, the count was 36 percent of the audience did not share the Christian worldview. So certainly there's enormous interest, and that's why I do it. They come out and they discuss, they're willing to come and listen to a credible case, and they're quite open, I find, to listen to argument, but they ask very vigorous questions, and I put great stress on the Q&A and always give them a lot of opportunity to come back at me.
1: All the way from Oxford, our guest today is Dr. John Lennox, and we'll continue this conversation in a moment. In cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, we're now producing the daily radio program FEBC Today with Ed Cannon. When you click on the FEBC banner at FirstPersonInterview.com or the banner on our new iPhone iPad app for First Person, You'll learn more about what you can do to assist FEBC in taking Christ to the world through radio and new technology. Learn more at FirstPersonInterview.com or download the First Person Smartphone app today. My First Person guest today is Dr. John Lennox, who's speaking to us from his home in Oxford, England. John is the author of many books, uh, a great uh, great follower of Christ. Uh, His latest book is called Against the Flow, The Inspiration of Daniel in an Age of Relativism. And I just find this book to be fascinating because it is so contemporary in how it speaks to us and the lives that we need to live in the public square where there is such opposition today. John, how do you look at the world today and and all the, I mean, even as we hold this conversation, the United States Supreme Court is hearing arguments about same-sex marriage.
0: I know. I I think we uh, see the world today as presenting us with many challenges, many of them we've never faced before. And in order to face them in our own countries, we do need some of that courage that Daniel shows in his book, which is another reason for taking it seriously. I mean, we are told in the book what Daniel does in his situation. We're not told how to apply it, but that then is going to be a question of Christian maturity where we have to think the thing through. But we do see in the book two things. One, that God delivers sometimes, but as we get further on in the book, we discover that Daniel is taught that down through history there will be times when God doesn't affect the deliverance. And indeed, the three young companions of Daniel leave in that book one of the deepest things that we could ever see when they are faced with Nebuchadnezzar commanding that they bow down to his image and if they don't they'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. They say, Well our God can deliver but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Wow! That is commitment of a fantastic level. Yeah. And if we could get any of that into
1: our hearts, it would make a very big difference. Right. That's not just uh, head belief. That's heart belief, isn't it? Oh, it is very much so. Do you do you find that that story speaks to the twenty somethings in our world today?
0: I I find it speaks to everybody. Indeed, I wrote the book because I've given several in-depth series of lectures around the world on it. And in every case, the response was overwhelming, you must write this down. So it actually comes out of living experience. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written it.
1: (laughs) Talk to me more about those campus experiences that you have around the world. Is it different from country to country?
0: Not largely different. Uh, the, The students tend to ask all the same questions. Well, one thing is very noticeable, though, in recent years, the increase in requests to talk about the problems of suffering and evil. And, of course, Daniel indirectly deals with some of those questions. But it's very noticeable. And, indeed, the the book I wrote a bit earlier, Gunning for God, Why the New Atheists Are Missing the Target, has got a major section in it on this major problem of suffering and pain. Many students want to hear more about that.
1: Hmm. I find that very interesting. Well, let's dig deeper in Daniel's life. And you said that he, um, we, we know what he did. What, did. Did Daniel compromise in any way? Do you see that in, 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 in the book of Daniel?
0: I don't get the impression he did. Some people argue that he accepted the pagan name that was given to him. But I don't see that as a compromise. They couldn't avoid that. What is very clear in the very first chapter, is that he refused the uh, food and wine that came from the king's table because he didn't want to defile himself. And I think that refusal is really a protest against the idolatrous interpretation of the universe that lay at the back of the education. So we have a very interesting situation where he accepts the education, where he's fully involved, he gets training as a high-powered administrator, he learns the language and the literature, but in his heart he doesn't compromise with the interpretation of the universe that lies behind it. Very much like today in the academy where in the West the dominant philosophy is materialism or naturalism. I'm in the academy, but I refuse to believe in that dominant philosophy.
1: What are some of the other principles that we learn from Daniel?
0: Well, his confidence in Scripture. After all, if you lived in Jerusalem uh, in his day and suddenly were captured and the city was besieged and the temple was pillaged, you had to know very clearly what Scripture is through the prophets like Jeremiah had said, because they predicted that if Israel compromised with the idolatry around it and Judah too, they would end up in captivity in idolatrous countries. So when that happened, it was very painful for Daniel being involved, but he knew that globally it had to happen because of the compromise of his nation. So oddly enough, His captivity confirmed the scripture, as he points out later in chapter 9. So he had that very strong commitment to scripture, which transcended his own personal experience. And that, again, is very rare. We trust God when things are going well, and we lose that when things aren't going well.
1: He obviously was very well educated, wasn't he?
0: Oh, brilliantly educated, because Nebuchadnezzar was an enlightened despot in a way. And if you read chapter one carefully, you'll see he believed that his administrators should all learn literature. We don't get that often today.
1: <laughs> Talk about the interaction that Daniel had with the, with the king's people and the king himself.
0: Well, of course, he came to the attention of King Nebuchadnezzar because he... Uh, claimed that he could interpret the dream. And this is one of the very significant parts of the book. And, of course, that's an amazing thing, to have sufficient confidence in God. David Cadeza was clever, of course. He challenged his experts. And he said, you tell me the dream, and I'll know if you've got the contents right, so I may be being to believe you've got the interpretation right. And they said, but nobody can do that. You tell us the dream and we'll give you the answer to what it means. And of course, they were only guessing and using their human ability. And they said, nobody could do this. Only the gods can do it, and they don't have anything to do with men. So they were confessing that although they were paid to contact with supernatural reality that none at all. And Daniel proves that he had. He tells the king his dream. He says to the king, there is a God in heaven who has shown you what's going to come. And of course, that immediately precipitated Daniel into very high authority. Nebuchadnezzar had to admit that here was somebody that knew something he didn't know and had access to a source of knowledge that was completely foreign to him. It's very dramatic it and is. very powerful.
1: It really is. I'm also so impressed, and we've touched a little bit on this, but I'm, I'm so impressed with, with the manner in which Daniel conducted himself, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. With we, meekness and respect and always giving people space, that is very important, and I feel for myself it's very important. He gave people space. He said to the king's well, the Dean of Students, I suppose we call him today, he said, look, just test us and see. He could understand where these people were coming from. He could understand their fear. So although he was a very powerful and bright man, he was a sensitive man. He represented God in a very impressive way. Hmm. And I think that's a model for us, because the Apostle Peter tells all of us that we should display meekness and fear in the way in which we answer people's questions.
1: Yes, we're often reminded to speak the truth in love. Uh, Daniel's, a, a uh, Daniel's a good example of that, because uh, we can so often uh, just go on the attack and hit people over the head with the truth. Oh,
0: yes, and that, that achieves absolutely
1: nothing. Well, how should we act, then?
0: Well, we should act by realizing that it's possible to be truthful and yet to show respect. And uh, that has to be learned, I think, because some people think that because they believe they know the truth, that, that will, it doesn't matter how they behave. They couldn't be more wrong. And our Lord and his apostles and Daniel are wonderful examples to show us how to do it.
1: We have just a minute or so left, and I, I just want to talk to you for that moment because I bump into so many people who wring their hands and kind of give up in the public square these days. Uh, Should we be taking that step back and just accept that, you know, well, God is sovereign and it all gets sorted out in the end, or should we be involved in the public square?
0: Well, we should be involved because, you see, we're called—we don't have that option because if we claim to be Christian, a Christian is a follower of Christ, and Christ has told us to go uh, into all the world and to be his witnesses, and I take that very seriously indeed. and. Peter, one of his apostles, said, always be ready to give an answer to those that ask you concerning the hope that is within you. So I think we need to come out of our ghetto mentality and be prepared to think about ways in which we can engage with the society around us that are credible. And we have to do some work on it. Mm.
1: John Lennox, just one last question. We've talked about a lot of important things today. I would like to hear from you what Jesus means to you now at this stage of life.
0: Well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and uh, I'm over 70 now, and looking back over life, I see how he has been utterly reliable, has led me and my family, and given me Uh, out of his grace and bounty, uh, the most amazing opportunities to be, in a small way, his ambassador. So uh, that relationship is by far the biggest thing in my life. It's not my mathematics or my philosophy. It's the fact that I have real hope, and that hope is down to the grace of the goodness, the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord who gave himself for me.
1: And that is a very powerful conclusion to today's conversation. Dr. John Lennox of Oxford University, author of the new book, Against the Flow. For more about the book, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. At the same website, you can stream this program on demand and listen to any past interview. You can view the schedule of upcoming guests, and you can learn more about our partnership with the Far East Broadcasting Company. When you click on the FEBC banner, you'll learn more about the radio program FEBC Today with Ed Cannon and how you can help take Christ to the world by radio and new technology. Please visit firstpersoninterview.com or look us up on Facebook at facebook.com/firstpersoninterview. And a reminder, we now have an iPhone iPad app to make listening even easier. Look for First Person Interview in the App Store. Next week, our guest will be Don Rice. And now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person.